The Pac-12 football season is finally here. JT Wistersill and I, host of Locked On Utes, are getting you ready for the weekend, the most important games, previewing them, and the first edition of our Pac-12 Prime betting picks. Let's go. Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Lockdown Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play by play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe wherever you are listening to or watching the show. Thank you to everybody out there who has done so already. By the way, I always mention that I broadcast Division One Athletics. That's why I'm wearing a button-down right now. I was in a full suit earlier. We're recording this late on Thursday night. I was uh, calling the Southern Utah-St. Thomas game. Probably not on your radar, but Southern Utah will be next week when they travel up to Salt Lake City to take on the Utes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Speaking of Utah, I've got JT Wistersill with me today on the show, host of Locked On Utes. JT, my man, we're about to have a full weekend of games as this episode drops. Colorado TCU, big game tonight. That is going to be mentioned later in our Pac-12 Prime Picks segment, but I imagine you are just as excited for college football to be back as I am. I'm so ready. I mean, we have just been talking about games and previews and everything for the past month. And I can even remember being at the Rose Bowl, like just as soon as that ended, the countdown to Gainesville. Well, it's finally here. And I can't wait to see how that's going to play out. And I mean, what a way for us. Well, this is coming out Friday morning, of course. What a way Thursday night for college football. And not just because of a Southern Utah victory, of course, Spencer, but in general, just a great display of college football. It's got to get you fired up for the week as well. So it is so great to have the greatest sport back. Yeah, it is the greatest sport on planet Earth outside of March Madness individually as an event. I'll take March Madness 1 and college football 2, 50 feet of crap, and any other sport you want to throw in there. Love that line from Moneyball. Um, I would also love to get your thoughts on the games this weekend, and you can mention Colorado TCU if you like, but I've been talking about what I feel is the most important set of games And I've got Utah, Florida right there at the top. And my reasoning is that, yes, Utah's a favorite in this game. And yet there's still people, you know, uh, other shows, media members and pundits and such who will say things like, well, can they go and upset Florida? I'm like, hold up. Utah's favored. Utah's ranked. Florida is not. I think that's a testament to kind of how a lot of people are feeling with regards to this game down in in Gainesville and, and the importance of it is just that. Utah is favored. It, they're the reigning Pac-12 champs. I think they're going to repeat. Florida is a middling SEC team. It's a big game for Utah to keep themselves in the college football playoff discussion early in, in this year. They don't have to go undefeated. You'd like to have this win on your resume, to be sure. But for the Pac-12, from a resume branding standpoint, you can't have your champion, even on the road, losing to a Florida team whose ceiling is probably eight wins or so this year with Billy Napier, maybe more. This is a game I think the Pac-12 has just got to have. 100%. I think this is the only game in the conference where every Pac-12 team is rooting for Utah, for that respect, for that reason, all the fans alike as well. This is a Utah team that, as you mentioned, they're coming off a Pac-12 championship. They returned 17 starters 
one of the best quarterbacks in the country for my money, and just a loaded group as well as an incredible running back room too. But this Utah team, I mean, if they can go down and get a win in Gainesville, it would be a huge momentum booster. And, yeah, the Pac-12 is still disrespected nationally, and understandably so for a lot of reasons. Yeah, and they haven't won a bowl game. I know. It's been I two know. years. The last bowl game was Oregon's Rose Bowl in 2020. I know that was that was the last time the Pac-12 won a bowl game back in my day. <laughs> it was before COVID. Remember, it was before everything mm-hmm. started there. That's how long it's been. So the national disrespect kind of warranted. You're right. No, it, it has been warranted. And that's where Utah has an opportunity to turn that around in some ways. And look, Georgia's going to have, I mean, excuse me, Oregon's going to have a chance to as well, but we're going to talk about that. That's an uphill battle more for me. But this is a middle-of-the-road SEC team. So if you are, especially the casual like college football fans in the East Coast, they're going to look at it yeah. like Utah, the best representative of the Pac-12, can't beat Florida if they can't do it. It's a horrible look for the conference. And it's one of the reasons they are have been nat- natural, nationally disrespected in the past. So I think for this Utah team, it is huge for them to go down and get a win. It's something I think they're going to do because of the talent they have on this roster. They do have the coaching advantage as well. And I think Billy Napier is a really good coach. But Coach Whittingham is one of the longest-tenured coaches in college football for a reason. This is an awesome game, and the stakes are at an all-time high for the Pac-12's reputation. The Pac-12's reputation is not entirely on the line, at least not as much in the Georgia-Oregon game, because what what you have there is more good things can happen than bad, but reputationally for Oregon and the Pac-12, you can still have some some bad things take place, because Oregon's got an 11 next to their name for an AP ranking coming into 2022, and are they supposed to win this game? No, I don't think there's anybody who expects them to go down and get a victory here. I know that I certainly do not. But that doesn't mean you can't have variations of how a loss impacts your reputation or your national perception. Because I think we all remember USC, you know, they were clawing to get out of the tunnel there against Alabama with Clay Helton, and they didn't look like they belonged. Like, that's a bad look. That's what Oregon has to avoid against Georgia, right? The fifth, I think it was 52 to three or something like that. Alabama over USC. That's what you can't have. If you go and you lose, you know, like when the ducks lost Auburn in 2019, or if UCLA had lost to a 16th ranked LSU a year ago, obviously they got the win, which was massive for uh, the Bruins in the PAC 12. But if they'd lost that game and it was competitive, that doesn't do the sort of damage that a trouncing, does and I think for Oregon in this game, if you just go and be competitive for three and a half quarters, that's that's enough. Those are my expectations. I think it's really interesting you just talked about the loss as well because it's a Utah team. Utah is a team that lost a bowl game and yet it's been incredibly successful. So you talk about losing yep. games and then going from there, how it can be a positive thing. And that's 100% what this can be for this Ducks team. You just want to make Georgia sweat, the defending national champions, as you talked about. Kirby Smart and Dan Lanning know each other inside and out. So I'm so excited to see what these guys try to do to throw different wrinkles at each other, how they're going to attack each other. And I absolutely think that Dan Lanning's Ducks can hang around with them for a half, maybe even three quarters. And maybe in that fourth is when they start to separate because the talent is obviously very heavy on Georgia's side. They have the experience as well. But I think Oregon's, especially from a schematic standpoint, 
Miami can absolutely give Georgia some trouble just because of how well these two teams know each other. And we don't really know what this Oregon offense is going to look like. While the Georgia defense, I expect to have a similar feel to what Landing's team ran last year because it's like the same. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I don't think they will. So it's going to be really interesting. And I don't. the Ducks aren't going to win this, but I definitely think they can hang in there and make it a lot closer than people think because I think they're discounting how good of a coach Dan Landing is. And he's not going to forget what his old boss does. Yeah, they're, they're capable of hanging around, right? Mm-hmm. If everything were to go perfectly, could they win the game? Sure, but that, that's pretty unlikely. I think even more so, and the betting line reflects that, than uh, upsetting Ohio State a season ago. And the difference between those two games is Oregon's strength will be the same this year, the offensive line. You're not going to run the ball on Georgia like you did against no. Ohio State, which means you're reliant on a new offensive coordinator who's a first-time play caller in Kenny Dillingham and Bo Nix, who struggled against Georgia in the past, who Kirby Smart knows very well. And I I think there are just a lot of things to overcome. First-time head coach, first-time offensive play caller. It's it's going to be a a challenge. Uh, Arizona State wasn't really challenged against NAU, thankfully. We'll get to that here in just a bit. But are you one of those people who thinks it's okay to drive stoned? You know, what you think, what's the worst that can happen? You end up driving below the speed limit. It's no big deal, right? Wrong. The truth is your reaction times slow way down when you're high. You not only put yourself in danger, but everyone around you. Talk about a buzzkill. Stop kidding yourself. It's not okay to drive high. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different, drive high, get a DUI. This message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration. Continuing along with JT Wistersill, host of Locked On Utes here on Locked On Pac-12. Spencer McLaughlin with you as always. Arizona State did what they were supposed to, right? Uh, Nothing flashy, not doing a a full breakdown here. But the Pac-12 had two FCS losses a year ago. And we're near a conference that has a struggling national reputation from a, a respect and pedigree standpoint with casual college football fans and media members losing to FCS opponents. It doesn't help. In fact, it hurts quite a bit. So uh, not a ton of positives or in, in a significant way, I guess, for ASU. But you avoided the big negative, and that's something. Yeah, and I think this team got looked really strong as the game went on. One thing I just wasn't encouraged by, and look, I mean, Arizona State versus Northern Arizona. We knew how this was going to play out. It played out that way eventually, but I didn't love how it started for Arizona State. I mean, you look at it, two of NAU's first three drives – were more than three and outs. And I think one of them was even a 13-play drive as well. So you saw the defense struggle a little bit. Now that defense responded and forced turnovers and got better. But those slow starts aren't something you can afford against a lot of the best teams in the Pac-12 because then all of a sudden you're behind 14 to nothing. And then also you look at them offensively, struggled to finish early. Their first two drives, they got a field goal, and then they had to punt on the second. Now they got going after that, but once again you're playing a better opponent. You have a slow start like that, you're shooting yourself in the foot early but they did look solid they got together they, and you could tell they were the more talented team I mean their offensive line was absolutely dominant in the run game they were creating holes all over the place Emory Jones showed a lot of signs the only thing I was really concerned about is the fumble he had and yes it was but really good play by NAU but still just one of those things you want to take better care of the ball but still good to see this team go out there take care of business as they should against uh not really a in-state rival but another team in their state yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another team in, in the state of Arizona. So they, they get it done. 
Um, any other games in the Pac-12 that, that you're excited about in particular this weekend? Uh, as this episode drops Friday morning, Colorado plays TCU tonight, uh, which we'll be talking about a little bit more here in uh in, in, in the coming minutes or so uh, of this episode when we get to our first edition of Pac-12 Prime Picks. Um, but there are a number of games I'm watching out there. I think Arizona-San Diego State is interesting. That could be a marquee win for Jed Fish and maybe catapult them into being a respectable team in the conference. Uh, again, you know, I've got them at three wins this year, but if they win that game, I would see them a lot differently, not just because they have a win I didn't think they would get, but because they could be capable of winning more than than we perhaps thought. Oregon State, two-and-a-half-point home favorite against Boise State. That's a big one. Uh, what are the games that you're most excited to see around the Pac-12 this weekend? Well, I love that you brought up Arizona-San Diego State because that is one that has my eye for sure because it is a great opportunity for Arizona, the Wildcats, to go down there and get a win. And Arizona's an interesting team to me because I think a lot of people are like, man, we love what they're building down there, but – you know, eventually it's going to have to lead to something. And it doesn't need to lead to something right away. Obviously, coach coaches time there, but it's eventually got to materialize into something. And I think it would be a great opportunity for them to get a huge win here. Also, Oregon State, Boise State, I think is going to be a great game as well. I, I think mm-hmm. Oregon State is going to find a way to win that game. But, I mean, Boise State is really good too. So it's it's going to be a tough one, but it's, it's still – it's not an unbelievable first week slate for the Pac-12, but we already talked about the two biggest games, those – the ranked game of Georgia and Oregon. And then of course, Utah's huge game, which uh, like you mentioned, even a lot of people think they shouldn't be favored in it simply because they play in the PAC 12 and SEC bias, because even when you're a middle of the road SEC team, you get to ride the coattails of the good teams. But either way, I, it's just great to have football back. And yeah, I think of all of them though, I think that Arizona, the Arizona's Arizona game is the one that catches my eye the most. Yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated to see, what they look like with Jaden Delora at quarterback, because Jed Fish has been an OC and a quarterback's guy in the NFL, and now he has stability at that position. And 2021, I'm sorry, Wildcats fans, and honestly, they would probably agree with me. They probably will agree with me. It was one of the worst quarterback rooms I've ever seen. I, I just, nothing personal against any of the guys. That was some of the worst season-long quarterback play and yeah, injuries were a part of it. You didn't have uh, any consistency. It makes it tough, but you're just looking at that quarterback room and going, man, there's nothing here. And to go from almost nothing to now a guy who just won seven games in the Pac-12 in the regular season at Washington State, I think that could do a lot for for Jed Fish in the offense. And uh, maybe it'll pay more dividends next year, but that San Diego State game will be telling. Uh, let, let's transition now into our, our final segment of the show today, and that's uh, our first edition of what will be a recurring segment here on the show. I will give you three picks every week involving Pac-12 teams. They are our Pac-12 prime picks going into the weekend. Uh, I've got three games that, that I'm eyeballing here, and this is uh, courtesy of Bet Online. Today's episode sponsored by Bet Online. They have you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts, and all of our odds are coming from that proud sponsor here at the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm going to start with the game tonight, uh, JT. I'll make a pick, and you can make one, and we'll just kind of keep going back and forth here, three apiece, but. I think 13 and a half is a lot for Colorado 
to be getting at home in week one. Now, if you told me this was TCU as a seven and four team and you're playing them in week, you know, 11, 12 or whatever, and Colorado only has a couple wins maybe. Yeah, I could see 13 and a half, but week one, it's a fresh slate. It's a clean start and bad teams don't know they're bad yet. And TCU was only five and seven a year ago. So they weren't in, and they're in the big 12. They're not in, you know, the SEC or the big 10. They've got a new head coach in Sonny Dykes who has experience in the Pac-12 from his time as the head coach at Cal. But I, I just don't look at these two teams and say in week one, TCU is going to go on the road to Boulder where the fans will pack the house and they will make noise and you're going to get 13 and a half points. I, you know, this number opened around eight. That's what I thought it would be kind of in that six to eight range. But this is the public. The reason I like this bet is it opened at eight, eight and a half, and it has moved five points out to 13, 13 and a half. That's the public moving it. And on the whole, betting against the public statistically can be a really good idea. So the first Pac-12 prime pick I've got here, Colorado plus 13 and a half. And I'm going to 100% agree with you. And I'm going to talk about why right away. TCU is doing something that I just personally can't stand going oh, on. Oh, this right is now. the kicker for me. This is yeah. this is the icing <laughs> on the cake. TCU is going to use – they said they might use three quarterbacks in this game. And I Ugh. just think that is a horrible idea. You can't build a rhythm with your receivers. You can't get in the flow of a game. You're nervous to make a mistake because if you make a bad throw or even a risky one, you might get pulled from the game. So I, I think they should just roll with one guy. It's a, I mean, Michigan's going to do it as well. We know over these couple of weeks, I think that's a terrible idea. But, but I mean, Michigan at least is going to start one guy yes, one game yes. and let him play it out and then play the, the other guy the next game. Mm-hmm. That, I I mean, better. I don't love it's it. Better. It's better. Yeah, yeah right. but that's a better approach than what TCU is going to do here. And I hope Colorado doesn't do that. You're right, because at least you know you have a game. So you'll be like a little nervous, like if I make one mistake, I could lose the job. But like literally, if you make a mistake in this game, you might not come out the next series. And I mean, if you're the kind of person who's going to overhype it, like a lot of these guys probably are, I mean, if you make a bad enough mistake, you might lose your spot for the year because of it. That's the kind of pressure these players will put on themselves internally. So you got a guy like Max Dugan, who he's a 29-game starter. Chandler Morris has a nice resume as well. And even a guy like Ty Barber, like are we going to see all three of those guys? So I just don't like the three-quarterback thing. TCU has a really good secondary, and I'm interested to see Colorado's passing attack. I think they got a lot of fun receivers who could potentially be in for really big seasons. So I totally agree with you. I think this is going to one is going to be way closer than the experts think, and more so than anything else because TCU's like we're just going to look back and be like, why in the world did they play three quarterbacks in this one? They were lucky to get out of there with the win, and I think even after the game, Coach Dykes is going to say, yeah, that was a mistake. And by the way, the experts did not think this would be an almost two touchdown game. The public thinks that. The public thinks that. And I'm not high on Colorado this year, as I've been talking about on the show. I think they're this year's last place team. But early in the year, you can get a fight from those sorts of teams that you won't get later in the year. And just the fact that they're at home in week one, fans are going to have the same sort of energy that I'm talking about with the players, right? The fans don't know what the season's going to be. They're hopeful and optimistic. So they're going to have that level of energy and enthusiasm. So I'll take Colorado plus 13 and a half. Next game, I got to go against a Pac-12 opponent here. I, I would love to be wrong and see Arizona win this game outright. 
But I think San Diego State is ahead of where they are right now. They're clearly comparable, right, if this line has stayed in the single digits. But this game's being played in San Diego. Um, not, a, not a huge home field advantage, right? I don't think you're going to have a super raucous environment. But I'll, I'll take San Diego State and swallow the points here, minus six. If this were seven and a half or so, I, I, I might go with the Wildcats, but if I don't have to give up a touchdown and an extra point in full, then I, I think San Diego State can get that done at home. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to once again agree with you because of what I talked about when we spoke about Arizona earlier. There's a lot of hype about what they could eventually be, but they're not that yet. And while they have a chance to show it in week one, I don't think they are. I think that it's going to be San Diego State's going to win this one, I think, pretty handedly as well. So, I think for Arizona, it's another one where it's like, well, at least we had like a couple of flashes in these moments, but their fans are going to be still feeling like a little bit like, okay, but we'd like to be a little more competitive in these games. So like I said, I'm excited to see it just because I think they have a chance, but at the end of the day, I think it's going to be the same disappointing result. Last one that I've got in our first edition of Pac-12 Prime Picks here on Locked On Pac-12. This is my favorite pick of the week. It is my absolute favorite bet in the Pac-12 of the week. It's on the Pac-12 side. And there are other other bets that were intriguing. Oregon State minus two and a half at home. Definitely fascinating, uh, specifically because they're at home. I'm not a fan. I think there's too much randomness. I mean, betting in general has a lot of randomness, but... I'm not a fan of the games, you know, Washington, Kent State is like 23 and a half, UCLA Bowling Green 23, UCLA Rice 30, or USC Rice 32, not, it's just, nah, I don't know. I love Utah minus three at Florida. I do, and look, in my years of uh, looking at NFL picks on on talk shows and, uh, you know, figuring out how, how well I can do there. I've I've tried to stay away from betting road favorites, but JT, I'm I'm just gonna ride the Pac-12 here and, and say that that line is a little bit of SEC bias, and uh, you know the the better the the odds makers knowing that the market will not let it go too far, because I think if you have you know their goal is to set it 50-50 on either side, I only have to give up a field goal here. I think this is a really good Utah team. And even if it's a solid Florida team, if they go eight and four, I still think that Utah is better. And I think, you you know, if you've got the revenge game for uh, Mahmoud Diabate as well, I, I like Utah minus three. Spencer, I've agreed with you on the other ones, but I 1000% agree with you on this one. <laughs> and before I dive into why, I do want to mention just because you talked about why you want to stay away from some of those games where Pac 12 teams are taking on lesser opponents. I mean, we saw Oklahoma State tonight take on Central Michigan, right? And Oklahoma State jumped out to a yes. huge lead in that one. And then you have the backups coming in and they totally blew it. And then that one ended 58 44. That right. game was not 58 44. Right. So that was a 30, it was 37 to 7 uh-huh. at one point. Oklahoma State had the lead. Then they start to coast. Central Michigan, Central Michigan comes in for backdoor cover. There's a 21 and a half point spread, and Central Michigan comes ramming through the back door. It's just not. I prefer to pick competitive games. That's that, that's that's just kind of my general philosophy, and I think Colorado will be more competitive than that line indicates. But Utah only giving up three. 
I think it's more likely they win by three touchdowns than lose the game. I don't think either happens. I think it's probably a 10 to 14 point win, but I, I feel good about the Utes. I 100% do as well. This Utah team is ready. You have the 17 returning starters, and we talked about it. This team came off a loss, and yes, the general public has been treating it as a win. I should say, especially the Utah fans have, and it's earned them lots of respect, right? But the players, you talk with these guys, they lost the game, and they know that. They're excited yeah. to come back out, get back to that stage, and really prove they belong by getting a win at the Rose Bowl. Or, I mean, this team has flat out said they want to go farther than that. They want to make it to the college football playoffs. So these guys are hungry. They're ready. They know it starts in Florida. Love that you brought up Diabate. You know he's ready to get revenge against this former team i think cam rising if he wants to get in that heisman conversation it's going to be a tall task but i think that starts with a huge week one performance versus the gators and i think he's ready to do it behind an offensive line that returns guys who have all started at least four games a ton of receivers due for breakout season the best tight end duo in the country a loaded backfield a defense that has a ton of playmakers especially that secondary i think it's the best secondary in the pac 12 and i just think this utah team is ready there may not be a Devin Lloyd, but there's a lot of players ready to step up on the defensive side of the ball. Coach Whittingham's squad is hungry. They are ready, and they will be having Gator for dinner in Florida. Football is finally back. The greatest three months of the year when college football is in season. And we will be featuring JT Wistersill more than a few times. He's the host of Locked On Utes. Check him out on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts. My man, I just cannot wait for the weekend. And frankly, I am intrigued to see what Colorado looks like and whether or not all of the prognostications and foresights that uh, myself and others have been making on this show and across the country are correct, wildly off base, somewhere in between. We will be breaking it all down and beyond. Appreciate the time, my guy. I appreciate everyone listening. See you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day. Enjoy the weekend.